Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the best podcast that you know of. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 17. What is the status of Philip's faith? <laughs> it's a weird question. Status. Yo, Philip, give us a faith status update, buddy. Uh, he is feeling less shame about his foot. That's nice. That was um, one of the most heartwarming moments so far in this book was him for once just not being so um, self-deprecating, you know, having a little bit of confidence in himself and thinking for once that his foot isn't just this awful thing, you know, I mean, it's not ideal, but he's beating himself up about it more than anyone else is, although actually saying that, they were actually beating him up for it, so, you know, tough times. Um, today's episode is brought to you by the beverage Peroni Tradizione Equalita Beer. It's a beer, essentially. It's quite nice, too. Uh, and it's also brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. Grab a beer if you haven't got one. It's just a beer day. It's just a beer day. You probably, you probably think I've been drinking beer all day because I'm in a funny mood. He's like, oh no, Anders drunk, but this is actually my first beer and I've had about three sips. I'm just in a funny mood, apparently. Mm. Can only get funnier from here. Alright, I am a Norwegian said, I'd expected his faith to dwindle, but the opposite seemingly is happening. His idol seems to be deeply religious too, so Philip will probably dive deeper into religion before coming, before becoming disillusioned what <laughs> that was a bad uh, verbal typo um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry mature in other words the opposite journey of every Dosto and Tolstoy main character haha <laughs> true wait so you think he's going to get more religious and then less which yeah it is the opposite of every Tolstoy and Dosto one where they like they have their faith tested, and then in the end, oh, but at the end, of course, religion is real. And you go, oh, come on, Tolstoy. Come on, Dosto. Um, Laura Weistich said, his faith seems easily manipulable. Manipulable. Is that a real word? <laughs> I have to look that up. Man yeah, it is, manipulable. Manipulable. Oh, it's French. <laughs> I don't think it's a real word. I don't think it's an English word. Man, ma malleable? Manipula manipulatable? Manipulable. It's a nice word. I wish it was real. Maybe it is real. Let me have another look. No, it's definitely not real. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. It is real. Is... <laughs> People ask, is manipulable a real word? It's the top Google for it. Adjective, capable of or susceptible to being manipulated. Manipulatable. Alrighty, there you go. Learn something new every day. Uh, he receives encouragement, super faith, disappointment, faith dwindles. He's very young, so this seems reasonable. At this point, I guess it could go either way. Um, Qtilis, oh yeah, this isn't really related to the podcast. He said the link to the podcast isn't working. <laughs> um, 
two days in a row, I've messed up the podcast link. You know, that's uh, that's on me. Every now and then, I'll I'll mess up the podcast link. You know, once a let's say once a month, I mess up the podcast link. But lucky for you, listeners, you've got a rare treat: two days in a row. You know, this beer is good, but there's no bubbles in it. Is it flat, maybe? I think that should be way bubblier than it is. Anywho, Fix the Blue said, I felt it was quite heartwarming for Philip to have someone to look up to and admire in Mr. Perkins. For what seems like the first time, I don't feel the need to say, poor Philip. I'm not a religious person, but I like the way Mr. Perkins gave Philip a completely different outlook on his disability. I hope it helps and continues to bring some self-confidence to Philip. Alright, not much conversation in today's chapter, and this is what happens when the prose starts getting a bit boring, which it did. Uh, in the last few chapters. I don't know why he's done this drastic change in style, but uh, he seems to, that's what he's done. Okay, so here we go. I mean, actually, 16 wasn't, oh, wait, sorry, chapter 17 wasn't as bad as chapters 15 and 16, but there has been a, a pretty significant change in style, and I'm not all, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that keen on it, as you've probably picked up by now. Okay, let's keep reading. Here we go. Chapter 18. But Philip could not live long in the rarefied air of the hilltops. What happened to him when first he was seized by the religious emotion happened to him now. Because he felt so keenly the beauty of faith, because the desire for self-sacrifice burned in his heart with such a gem-like glow, his strength seemed inadequate to his ambition. He was tired out by the violence of his passion. His soul was filled on a sudden with a singular aridity. Aridity. I need to look that up before we continue. Aridity. No definition. Um, a deficiency of moisture. Oh, arid. Okay, dryness. He had a dryness of... Okay. His strength seemed inadequate to his ambition. Um, his soul was filled on a sudden... With a singular aridity. Still don't know what that means. A singular dryness. Uh, he began to forget the presence of God which had seemed so surrounding, and his religious exercises, still very punctually performed, grew merely formal. At first he blamed himself for this falling away, and the fear of hellfire urged him to renew vehemence, but the passion was dead and gradually other interests distracted his thoughts. Philip had new friends. His habit of reading isolated him. It became such a need that after being in company for some time he grew tired and restless. He was vain of the wider knowledge he had acquired from the perusal of so many books. His mind was alert, and he had not the skill to hide his contempt for his companions' stupidity. They complained that he was conceited, and since he excelled only in matters which to them were unimportant, they asked satirically what he had to be conceited about. He was developing 
a sense of humour, and found that he had a knack of saying bitter things which caught people on the raw. He said them because they amused him, hardly realising how much they hurt, and was much offended when he found that his victims regarded him with active dislike. The humiliations he suffered when first he went to school had caused him a shrinking from his fellows which he could never entirely overcome. He remained shy and silent, but though he did everything to alienate the sympathy of other boys, he longed with all his heart for the popularity which to some was so easily accorded. These from his distance he admired extravagantly, and though he was inclined to be more sarcastic with them than with others, though he made little jokes at their expense, he would have given anything to change places with them. Indeed, he would gladly have changed places with the dullest boy in the school, who was whole of limb. He took to a singular habit. He would imagine that he saw some boy whom he had a particular fancy for. He would throw his soul, as it were, into the other other's body, talk with his voice and laugh with his heart. He would imagine himself doing all the things the other did. It was so vivid that he seemed for a moment really to be no longer himself. In this way he enjoyed many intervals of fantastic happiness. At the beginning of the Christmas term which followed on his confirmation, Philip found himself moved into another study. One of the boys he shared, who shared it was called Rose. He was in the same form as Philip, and Philip had always looked upon him with envious admiration, which is not... He, sorry, he was not good-looking, though his large hands and big bones suggested that he would be a tall man. He was clumsily made, but his eyes were charming, and when he laughed, he was constantly laughing. His face wrinkled all around them in a joy, jolly way. He was neither clever nor stupid, but good enough at his work and better at games. He was a favourite with masters and boys, and he in turn liked everyone. When Philip was put in the study, he could not help seeing that the others who had been together for three terms welcomed him coldly. It made him nervous to feel himself an intruder, but he had learned to hide his feelings, and they found him quiet and unobtrusive. With Rose, because he was as little able as anyone else to resist his charm, Philip was even more than usually shy and abrupt, and whether on account of this unconsciously bent upon exerting the fascination he knew was his own only by the results, or whether from sheer kindness of heart it was Rose who took first took Philip into the circle. One day, quite suddenly, he asked Philip if he would walk to the football field with him. Philip flushed. I can't walk fast enough for you, he said. Right, come on. And just before they were setting out, some boy put his head in the study door and asked Rose to go with him. I can't, he answered. I've already promised Carey. Don't bother about me, said Philip quickly. I shan't mind. Right, said Rose. He looked at Philip with those good-natured eyes of his and laughed. Philip felt a curious tremor in his heart. In a little while their friendship growing with boyish rapidity, there the pair was inseparable. Other fellows wondered at the sudden intimacy, and Rose was asked what he saw in Philip. Oh, I don't know, he answered. He's not half a bad chap, really. Soon they grew accustomed to the two walking into chapel arm in arm or strolling round the precincts in conversation. Wherever one was, the other could be found also, and as they 
As though acknowledging his proprietorship, boys who wanted Rose would leave messages with Carey. Philip, at first, was reserved. He would not let himself yield entirely to the proud joy that filled him, but presently his distrust of the fates gave way before a wild happiness. He thought Rose the most wonderful fellow he had ever seen. His books now were insignificant. He could not bother about them when there was something infinitely more important to occupy him. Rose's friends used to come in to tea in the study sometimes or sit about when there was nothing better to do. Rose liked a crowd and a chance, the chance of a rag, and they found that Philip was quite a decent fellow. Philip was happy. When the last day of term came, he and Rose arranged by which train they should come back so that they might meet at the station and have tea in the town before returning to school. Philip went home with a heavy heart. He thought of Rose all through the holidays, and his fancy was active with the things they would do together next term. He was bored at the vicarage, and when, on the last day, his uncle put him the usual question in the usual facetious tone, "'Well, are you glad to be going back to school?' Philip answered joyfully, "'Rather.' In order to be sure of meeting Rose at the station, he took an earlier train than he usually did, and he waited about the platform for an hour. When the train came in from Farvathsham, where he knew Rose had to change, he ran along it exciting, excitedly. But Rose was not there. He got a porter to tell him when another train was due, and he waited, but again he was disappointed. He was cold and hungry, so he walked through side streets and slums by a shortcut to the school. He found Rose in the study with his feet on the chimney-piece, talking eighteen to the dozen with a half-dozen of boys who were sitting on whatever there was to sit on. He shook hands with Philip enthusiastically, but Philip's face fell, for he realised that Rose had forgotten all about their appointment. "'I say, why are you so late?' said Rose. "'I thought you were never coming.' "'You were at the station at half-past four, said another boy. "'I saw you when I came.' Philip blushed a little. He did not want Rose to know that he had been such a fool as to wait for him. I had to see about a friend of my people's, he invented readily. I was asked to see her off. But his disappointment made him a little sulky. He sat in silence and when spoken to answered in monosyllables. He was making up his mind to have it out with Rose when they were alone. But when the others had gone, Rose at once came over and sat on the arm of the chair in which Philip was lounging. I say, I'm jolly glad we're in the same study this term, ripping, isn't it? He seemed so genuinely pleased to see Philip that Philip's annoyance vanished. They began as if they had not been separated for five minutes to talk eagerly of the thousand things that interested them. All right, there we go, another chapter down. What a cutie. What a cutie of a chapter. <laughs> um, have your say about that one over at the Hemingway List subreddit. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.